All right, as has become my tag intro, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be in this beautiful world, and welcome to episode number 13, hopefully not an unlucky 13 of the Still City Insider. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy Ritz, alongside Jim Wexel here on the Still City Insider podcast. Today is December 7th, and Jim, it's there's only 19 days until Christmas. Do you have all your shopping ready? You done? <laughs> I have one important one done, so... Uh, it's funny, this is the 13th podcast on a day that you'll live in infamy. Yes. After a win over the Ravens two days before a Thursday night game. But it's funny because uh, in this weird Steelers season, that se- this seems like a good day, a lucky day, right? Doesn't everything just seem different? Everything's upside down. It, it's a parallel universe, it seems. So, but uh, that's what's making it fun and it's given us a lot to talk about. And we have a lot to talk about today after Pittsburgh sensational win over the Baltimore Ravens coming down to really the final play on that two-point conversion that worked out in the Steelers favor after pressure from TJ Watt we're going to get into all of that and really one of the stories that I feel maybe served as uh, a a game changer a tie changer and that was the the leaking uh, of Ben Roethlisberger's retirement at the end of the season Uh, probably the worst kept secret but the timing of it being leaked to the media I thought was very interesting, so we'll talk about that. We'll also get into just the dominating performance of T.J. Watt, Deontay Johnson, and then some of these no-name guys, Montrevious Adams at nose tackle, Keller Weatherspoon at cornerback, uh, and John LeGlue. I'm curious to see what your nickname for him will be. Uh, I know we've got the general there. <laughs> this guy needs no nickname. He is LeGlue. <laughs> I didn't know if you'd call him like Elmer or something. No, if you look back at my tweets when this they signed this guy at camp, or I forget what it was. You know, he was a bottom of the roster guy, and they moved him to center. He had to do a, a lot of work at center. There were a couple injuries during a stretch, and, and Tomlin has brought this up. But I tweeted a couple times, glue to the offensive line. I mean, because they needed they needed everything, not just glue. But you know, you always. That's a common nickname for athletes of a group like an offensive line. He mm-hmm. was the glue. Well, we joked early in the year. I joked he was lay glue. And sure enough, he might be. <laughs> he might be. He might be. What a what a great early Christmas present. Anyway, there's so much to talk about, Jim. Uh, we'll also hit on where we go from here. But let's start on the defensive side of the football and the the man, T.J. Watt, was uncertain whether or not he would play being on the, the COVID list after testing positive. Um, didn't practice at all during the week. In fact, he said after the game that the way he prepared was running around his backyard. But he went on to have three sacks. How would you um, evaluate his performance? And did he really solidify himself as the favorite for defensive player of the year? Oh, man, I, I can't. I have no idea what's going on the rest of the league. And I have no idea how people vote and that stuff doesn't matter. He's, he's solidifying himself as a hall of famer is what he's doing. Uh, you know, he had three and a half sacks. That's not yeah. change him. And um, uh, the, the play at the end where he got in the way, it still should have been a play that the Ravens made, but TJ definitely got in the way and he rushed just right. He didn't overrush, which would have been a lot of tendencies to come at him hard and fast. And Lamar Jackson, he just sidesteps you and you're, you know, he's gone. Uh, 
TJ knew exactly how to rush him. He rushed him like that early when his pressure led to Minka's interception. So those are two plays in which he didn't get a sack that were were huge plays. The game-winning two-point conversion he fouled up, and he led to Minka's pink. Minka's pink. (laughs) Minka's pick. Uh, when they were in field goal range on their, was it their first drive or second drive? It was early in the game, but they could have used those three, at least three points Yeah. later. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are other plays that TJ influenced. Uh, it was just a, a great performance, dominating performance. You can see why this defense needs him so badly that he's consistent pressure. Yeah. And I, I said at the outset of the season that, Prior to this year, I didn't see the game from him similar to a Troy Polamalu or James Harrison, where he took the team and really willed them to victory. Not that he won the game on his own, but I think just his general overall performance and the the uplift that he had on the rest of his teammates, I think that that was tangible. Um, and man, he was just a man possessed. And looking at the the rush defense, I don't know how they made the improvements uh, from last week to this week, I don't know if it's just the mirage, but the Ravens uh, and all of their rushing glory only put up 107 yards on the ground. Lamar Jackson is what he is. Uh, he's able to take it the distance. He was held to 55 yards. And Devontae Freeman finished the night with 14 carries, 52 yards, 3.7 yards per carry. Um, a, a lot of that could be attributed to the um, signing of Montrevious Adams from the New Orleans Saints practice squad a week prior. Um, But we also saw Chris Wormley have a decent game on the defensive line. He had some pressure as well, ended the night with two and a half sacks. But what do you attribute the defense playing so much better than the week prior? And again, not to completely absolve them because they did give up some big plays. But what do you uh, attribute that improvement in play to? Well, the Ravens aren't the Ravens, the rushing attack that I've become accustomed to. Uh, and and they rushed for over 100 yards, and they were at 4.3 per carry. You know, back in the day, those were disappointing numbers. We'd be talking about how a team rushed for over 100 on them at 4.3. But the fact that we celebrate it now in the era of 5.4, I heard uh, it was Jim Nance uh, and listening to the Rewind. Jim Nance was using some of my stats, you know, 5.4, uh, 4.8, the worst since 1934. Did you, I heard him use that. So you like to see when the national media guys are digging into your stuff, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a badge of respect that they at least even start to look through it. Um, Montravius, can we just call him Monty or, or Mon? I, mean, I don't know if it's Montravius, Montarius, Montravius Adams was playing. There was your man possessed, you know, and some of those plays he was, he was getting outside and tripping up. If, if you remember the run early in the second half, he just barged outside from his nose tackle position, stopped the sweep to Freeman by tripping him. He reached out, dove and grabbed his ankle. It was a great play. Um, I don't know if he can continue that. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked him at Auburn, and he was a third-round pick. Yeah. I remember when he was at Auburn, and I liked him, and none of the draft nicks didn't like him. He considered a sixth-round pick. I didn't understand why. 
I still don't understand why. And then he went in the third round by the, the Packers. So I always felt justified. And then he became, you know, cut. He, I don't know why he uh, got cut from Green Bay. And then I believe New Orleans. Uh, oh, New England. New England. So, uh, you know, he was in those read and react schemes. And now the Steelers used to be a read and react scheme. But they asked him to attack. And he attacked. And I don't know if that's his game, if this fits him perfectly, or if he just played out of his mind. Yeah. And we might not ever see this again, but uh boy, he was a help, a definite help. Yeah. They yeah, I was looking at player. Yep. I was looking at his draft profile last night because kind of the um just seeing what his background was, did see that he was a third round pick and coming out of Auburn, they said that his greatest attribute was his uh get off the line. Um just was the first guy. Yeah. And, you know, that's needed at that nose tackle position. And any kind of attack is needed from this passive defense. Yeah. And, you know, I guess Devin played a little better. And, you know, those those inside linebackers are small pass coverage guys. And they need some big bodies up front or doing some damage. And this was one. And uh, Wormley, I don't know how well he played against the run, but he got some pass pressure. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's a there's a there's a part that came into place and uh it, it's interesting that he took an Alabama player spot Isaiah Bugs <laughs> Auburn beats Alabama like they should have last Saturday was it Saturday Alabama Auburn uh, yes I believe or so. is that that was two two Saturdays ago <laughs> two, <laughs> Auburn should have won that game but uh, the Steelers got the Auburn guy to edge out the Alabama guy for their nose tackle spot I almost wonder too if the the addition of Adams, if that had a an overall impact on the defense, because again, Warmly played well, uh, and you really didn't hear Schobert's name or or Bush's name too much, which is a good thing. Uh, you didn't see them. Um, you didn't see Bush lollygagging to the play, so maybe Adams offered that little bit of a boost needed to just make the defense a little bit better, and hopefully that can you know carry That's on. Lucky. Let's not get carried away. Hey, you know, Rocky Dwyer. We got to be Ryan optimistic. Clark and Chris Hoke had a lot to do with <laughs> Devin Bush not lollygagging either. <laughs> and Lamar Jackson. And the fact that the Ravens aren't the running team that we're accustomed to. So maybe we're a little surprised at how well the Steelers run defense played. But that Ravens run offense isn't anything near what they used to be. And I was not impressed by the Ravens at all. So uh i don't want to get carried away but it was it's nice that there's two or three pieces we can talk about that have emerged as possible i mean i don't want to say they that it's too late in the season that this defense is etched in stone as as already being poor but it's possible with like with LeGlue on the offensive line montrevious adams on uh, on nose tackle and akello uh, witherspoon i mean that guy that play he made on that deep ball to mark at mark andrews that yeah. was dreamy. That's what you want out of a first round corner. Yeah. That length. You saw how tall he is. You saw his speed, his recovery speed, his grace when he went up around Andrews and should have picked it off. He's probably mad he didn't pick that play yeah. off. It was third and 15. So nobody really cared that he didn't get the interception because he broke up a third down pass. But that was very graceful, very long corner, long arms uh, and recovery speed. Oh, geez, is this guy coming to his own? Because the first day he interviewed, you know, I know meeting with the media is not like what he looks like on the field. But he met with us and his body language was very withdrawn. He was very passive. 
was talking about what he wanted to do after football, some kind of medical career. And I, I, I mean, all these guys are interviewing him and they're interested. They, you know, you're getting a story. And I was thinking, no, this guy's talking about what he wants to do after football. I'm done with this guy. I walked away. I didn't. And then in a few spot limited spot duties, he didn't play well. And I said, I know this guy's not a ball player. Yeah. And boom, he looked like he cared. He looked like he wanted it. I mean, he was playing hard. I haven't seen him play that hard. And hey, maybe he's realized that that medical career is not going to work out. He, he should make some money while he has the opportunity here. And I know Joe Hayden, you want Joe Hayden back. And I, I don't know what his timetable is with the midfoot sprain, which always sounds like uh, uh, Liz Frank. And you never want that out of your corners, especially with 32-year-old corners. Yeah. Um, this was the first game in nine that Steelers won without Joe Hayden. I think that was your stat last week, that they were 0-8. Uh, that wasn't my stat. I'm not that good, Jim. <laughs> well, it was, it was their last eight. I went and looked it up, and yes, the last eight games that Hayden didn't start, they lost. Mm. And this was the first. I, I think there were some before – uh, that he missed that they won maybe one. So it's not a, a career thing, but the last eight. So some pieces and that's nice. Yeah. And James Pierre got sat down this game um, in favor of Akella Witherspoon. And I agree. I agree. That play that he made was a thing of beauty. If you just look overall at the production from the Ravens in terms of the passing game, wasn't great. I look at Marquise Brown um, only 55 yards. He's their speedy guy. And uh, they were able to contain him. Really, nobody outside of Andrews who had a lot of drops. Which you know, you want to you want to make the excuse for him that he just had a poor game. But a lot of that could be attributed to the defense playing well. So let's give credit where credits due. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Minka Fitzpatrick. I know you talked about his interception there at the beginning of the game. I felt like he played maybe his best game of the year, just in terms of physicality and being sure in his tackling. Um, but to me, it looked like the Minka Fitzpatrick that we're all used to against the Ravens. I can't add anything about Minka there. Absolutely. He did miss a tackle early. I'll add that <laughs> on the touchdown, uh, or, or up the middle, but anyway, regardless, you're right. Minka yeah. played well, um, see, that's the thing. They have no bodies up front and they have two first round safeties. They have a first round coverage linebacker. These are the this is what they've been drafting, you know, to, to play against these passing teams and all they've seen are big running teams and they're getting gouged up front. So, hey, if a Montrevious Adams can help or if your next draft pick is the Georgia defensive tackle, that massive kid in the middle. It was funny. Somebody I said, man, that Georgia, they neutralized that Georgia defensive monster. And they go, yeah, that's what you do to defensive tackles. You throw over the top. I said, you know, that was the Steelers' draft strategy for the last five, seven years is everything goes over the top. Why worry about a defensive tackle until you don't have one and everybody's just gouging you on the ground? You need 11 players, you know? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. You need 11 draft picks out there, man. Right. So, well, it was a bend-but-don't-break defense. Hopefully they can continue that play uh, heading into this Thursday against the Vikings. And on the offensive side of the ball, have to start with the story that emerged on Saturday. And really not that it's a, 
it's something that everybody somewhat anticipated. We haven't heard any official reports, but Adam Schefter uh, made a report on ESPN that Roethlisberger had told people inside the organization that this would be his last year. Um, after the game, Ben said that he didn't share that with everybody. Um, so he didn't come out and confirm it indirectly. He did, but um, I thought the timing of that was a bit unique being that there were six games left. Um, maybe I'm thinking uh, this is my conspiracy brain at work here, um, but it almost felt like it served as a rallying point, a, a unifier for this team to say, hey, these are Ben's final six games. Yeah, it's a, something to come together to rally behind. And what better way than Ben to have that fourth quarter comeback with a perfect passer rating? Um, it really sets the stage for a nice story. I'm not sure that it's going to end uh, with the storybook ending. Uh, but what say you about the whole uh, unfolding of Roethlis the Roethlisberger news this weekend and his play? I was on somebody's show last night. I don't know if it's a podcast or not. He called me on the phone, and he said the same thing about a leak. And I was surprised at the language that you guys are using with leak. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't go to the Ben interview. It's on uh, usually on Wednesday mornings at uh, – way before practice and the other reporters go and it, it 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 gets sent to me and so I look it over but I'm not there to ask the questions and I told some of the young guys hey ask Roethlisberger if this is it because he has said many things throughout the year that led us to continue to believe this was it especially when things went bad uh, after the first three wins or whatever it was and he started getting beat up a little and People would say, Ben, since this is your last year, he would never correct anybody. So we just kept assuming. And I told, the, I was talking to a couple of young reporters, ask him directly, you know, don't, and don't pussyfoot the question. Like so many times questions get watered down by the questioner himself and they allow escapes. And um, all of a sudden somebody uh, heard, uh, you, you know, the, the expected and I don't know that it was a leak. I just think it just a national reporter finally came around to getting into it a little bit. But I think we've all the local guys have just assumed it to be the case. So they didn't want to ask. I don't know. I gave you my reason. I'm too lazy to get down there early in the morning. <laughs> I got to do podcasts at 3 a.m., you know, <laughs> <laughs> then I go take a nap for a while. Yeah. So I don't I don't believe in the conspiracy theory, but you could have something there. Yeah. Well, he did play, you know, again, we, we talked about TJ as a man possessed. I don't know if I would characterize Ben's first three quarters that way, but that fourth quarter performance was vintage Roethlisberger, uh, the pump fake and then the touchdown pass to Deontay uh, and even backing up the the bomb that he threw to, to Johnson that went through his fingers in the end zone. Ah, that was a heartbreaker. He did redeem himself with two touchdowns, but I felt like Ben was on point. And, um, you know, if he can sustain that these last five games, you know, they can be in position to win quite a number of them. Well, two points. I thought that pass to uh, DJ, the longer one, was beautifully designed. And Roethlisberger pointed up to the offensive coordinator. In the, in, the inter in the interview after the game, he said, next to my family? I was pointing to my family, but yeah, it was a good call by Matt. He, he pointed to Matt Canada up there. That was a beautifully designed play. You know, all the flow was going right. It seemed like for all the world, Roethlisberger was going to go right. And they had DJ running that post to the left. It was beautiful, beautifully designed. So give Canada A-plus on that. And um, 
Well, uh, let me just talk about the one point where it was classic Roethlisberger. And I don't want to say botching the clock, but just another minor time problem. And Ben was on top of it. At least Ben said in the postgame that the Ravens jumped off sides intentionally on second and two. It, it, it could have been the call of the game for Harbaugh. And you saw, if you go back and look, watch that offsides right out of the two-minute warning. They jumped offsides on second and two at the 13. So there were three timeouts, two minutes, and the Steelers are second and two. If the Steelers get one yard, which they often do, it's third and one, and then they get another yard, the Ravens will have cost themselves two timeouts before the Steelers get three more plays where they can just take knees until they kick a 19-yard field goal and time's up. So the Ravens were in a really tough situation, so they jumped off sides intentionally to get that first down. It's better than giving up a touchdown, which Ben said he and Najee were talking about. What if, what if they just want me to score a touchdown, Ben? Ben said, score it. But they were thinking about the analytics of the clock at that time. Mm-hmm. And not many other people were. And when the Ravens jumped off sides, Ben knew they jumped off sides on purpose. And I asked him after the game, why didn't you decline it? Oh, well, we weren't thinking about it. It's not my decision. And then he goes, and then he stopped in the middle of this answer and said, I guess we could have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't get to ask Tom on the same question I wanted to, but I was talking to Cam on the other side of the room. So, uh, Boy, if they had declined that second and two, that would have been something new that we've never seen in football before. Declining an offsides penalty on second and two. We'd rather have second and two than first and goal at the eight. And so you could run that clock out. Wow. There never would have been that Ravens drive or that. But now you're, okay, say, say you get that first down on your first play. It's first and goal at the six. The Ravens have only used one timeout. They've got two left. Do you start calling running plays, trying to set up a field goal to burn clock? Or do you think touchdown? And to Tomlin's credit, he has always thought touchdown. He doesn't get deep into the analytics of the clock, which infuriates a lot of Steelers fans who, who are on top of analytics. But Tomlin's on top of football. Scoring touchdowns are more important. And so you don't get immersed in clock management as much as you want touchdowns. But how much time do you leave the Ravens? And if you just kick a field goal and give them, say, 25 seconds, that's enough for Justin Tucker to get off a 70 yarder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you're, it's a whole, you're opening up a whole ball of, 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 of trouble uh, and it worked out for them, but they got lucky on that two point conversion that the Ravens did catch. Yeah. So, wow. That's oh yeah. So there was a lot of good stuff, and Ben was on top of that. Cam Hayward, <laughs> I said, Cam, do you think the Ravens jumped off sides? He goes, intentionally he goes, no. I go, have you ever been asked to do something like that? He goes, I'd get my ass kicked. And then he, he, draw, he threw an f bomb. He goes, Coach Tomlinwood blanking, and he looks at the cameras. He goes, Oops, excuse me. <laughs> he goes, No, no way. Uh, I would ever be asked to jump off sides. Because Cam wasn't in tune to it, but Ben went to the uh, after Cam was done. Ben came in. Ben was definitely he felt they jumped off sides intentionally. And if you look at the film, you look at Harbaugh. Look, he looks like the cat who ate the canary. He looks like he's so smart. I just pulled one over on Tomlin again. 
They Nobody even knows that that was intentional. Nobody's even saying anything. And the announcers weren't saying anything either. And Romo's a pretty sharp guy. He is sharp, yeah. So yeah. it was really interesting. Go back and look at that tape. And you know, Harbaugh looks like a cat that ate the canary. Wow. See, that that's the only that's the type of analysis that you can only find here on the Insider Podcast. That's some uh, deep stuff. I didn't even realize that. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, I got a text from one of our writers, uh, Matt Steele, texted me. He was furious. And I'm not a guy you text in the game. You want to put something on Twitter? Fine. I expect to be abused on Twitter. <laughs> you know, we can do that. I don't want texts from my buddies enraged by what Tomlin has just done. I, I just don't. I don't. But he, he really put my antenna up. And Ben was the only other person that, that had considered it along with my buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It just goes to show the nuances of the game and, you know, how deep, uh, you know, the thinking goes into this game from what we see on the television. Um, you know, thankfully it worked out there. Uh, it got a bit tenuous with the two point try at the end. They gave up the touchdown. Uh, just finishing up here on the offense, Jim Pat Freyamuth, uh want to mention his reception there on that two point play that gave the Steelers a seven point lead. Uh, again, I'll go back to what you said in July. Um, you said that this is, this is the guy and he is, he's the guy. I noticed Gentry caught a pass and everybody thought he was Muth. Muth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or if it's just the old Matt Spath used to get the heat too. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what more to say about Pat Fryermuth. He's a baller. He's definitely a ball player. Uh, they got a really nice rookie class this year. Um, yeah, I, I watched Dan Orlovsky just excoriate the Ravens' pass defense. And, and boy, the Ravens' pass defense numbers before this game are as historically bad as the Steelers' run defense numbers. Everything okay? Yeah, I had a Christmas de- decoration fall over there. It, was, it scared <laughs> me. The ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I was talking about, maybe. So uh, whatever I was talking about. Uh, but the, the Ravens' pass defense is historically bad. Their pass offense is is pretty bad. And uh, they're not a very good team. So I, my hope is that the Steelers aren't all flush with victory be, on a short week because Minnesota can be had. But, man, visiting teams have trouble on these Thursday night games. It's a hard game to go win, especially after playing the Ravens. But if they, if they keep their emotions in check and not think that they just won the Super Bowl, they can steal a win over Minnesota and then have a little mini bye week. And then you really can get hot after if you win this game. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue, Jim. Steelers are playing <laughs> Thursday night here against the Vikings. <laughs> Kirk Cousins, who if you look at his stat line after every game, he's thrown for 300 plus yards. Uh, if you look at the the games that they're in, it seems like it's always a close game, either a three-point victory or a three-point loss. They have beat some good teams. They've beat the Packers this year. So the Steelers are going to be tested. I know the Vikings will be without their, uh, I think, Dalvin Cook, you know, their stud runner, and there's a chance Adam Thielen will be out. Um, but if the Steelers can get this one, move the 7-5-1, and one, um, they still have a tough, tough schedule coming up, but they, they're staying in the mix. They're staying in contention, and that's what this win over Baltimore did. Um, you know, I might press you for a prediction later on here in the, the terrible three, uh, but where from here with this Vikings game and with the remaining schedule for the Steelers team? 
Oh, where from here? I mean, this is all all thinking must be on this Thursday night game. I've been trying to get you to think one game at a time. <laughs> I I think I've got that with you, but you you're, you're sneaking ahead. You get a little excited. This is what I'm talking about. It's a little bit the Super Bowl beating the Ravens. <laughs> this game here because you get that free weekend, and then everything can happen after that. People start coming back. I doubt someone like Joe Hayden plays this week, but man. Now with the the 10 days off, now guys like Hayden start coming back to you. And uh, uh, then, you know, unfortunately that gives you time to coach people like LeGlue and Montrevious Adams into the mediocrity that coaching will often lead players. (laughs) Montrevious don't, don't come off the ball so hard because you've got to read and react this when, when we like how he's coming off the ball, just fine, whether he's making mistakes or not. It's the aggressiveness that they've lacked. So, um, but other than overcoaching in those 10 days, I, I think the 10 days off would be perfect late in the year. And then you can, whoever, whoever has to uh, play them, is it Cleveland after the 10 days? Uh, it is Tennessee. Okay. So, hey, you know, they're beatable. With 10 days rest late in December, that's a rarity. Usually those Thanksgiving teams have a, a big advantage playing in late November with 10 days off. And so even further into the season, as much as you hate Thursday night football, what it chews up and it's for TV and it's just awful on these players. Uh, the 10 days after that are go- glorious. So ask me, ask, I don't even know when we're going to do our podcast after the Thursday night game. That's something we should discuss. Yeah. I was <laughs> thinking Saturday that too. morning. But and it gives us such free time to enjoy for a yeah. couple of days, and the team will be enjoying that too. And then ask me then where they go from there. We'll do. And I think I saw a stat where Roethlisberger is four and zero in his last four Thursday night contests. So that may uh, be a nice foreshadow of what's to come. Better leak um, some other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and being that it's a short week, I was going to do uh, my quarterback preview of Kenny Pickett. Uh, everybody, I'm sure by now, saw his performance in the ACC championship game. Pitt actually won that game. Uh, I think Pickett introduced a new play, which is the fake quarterback slide. If you haven't seen that, check that out. But I'll have a full profile on him. I did do a profile of Sam Howell on my site um, last week, but we'll get into that. Being that it's a short week with the Vikings, our next podcast, I'll have a, a more comprehensive profile on Kenny Pickett. And I watched a little bit of film on him. Um, I like him, Jim. Um, yeah, let me throw this in there. I don't think that was a fake. You don't think it was a fake? Slide. I think he just changed his mind. And uh, um, as for uh, Sam Howell, keep your eye on him. I just have a real hunch that Colbert's on him. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I mean, we're getting reports that Colbert's seen him three times. But this is the kind of guy who came into the year, rated higher, didn't have a great year. And, and Colbert doesn't get shaken by poor senior years or mediocre senior years. He looks at the body of work and that's how sometimes he gets surprise picks like to it, mm-hmm. McFarland guys like that who don't have great senior years. So scout Howell, I mean, look him over with a fine tooth comb. Yeah. Got it. And he's only a junior. So there's a chance he could return for another season, uh, but he definitely has all the tools there. So we will, we will definitely be talking about him on the show at some point later this year. All right, Jim, it's time for the terrible three. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. First up, 
So Steelers have had two consecutive weeks against the top teams in the AFC North, the Bengals and the Ravens. Who wins the division? Is it the Bengals, Ravens, or your Steelers? I was so unimpressed with the Ravens, and I was so impressed with the Bengals. I think I told you I was going to bet on them to win the Super Bowl the week before they got blown out by the Chargers. So who could figure any of this out? But I, I got to believe the Bengals are the best team in this division. They, you know, they, their ups and downs, look, they beat, the, they beat the Steelers. It's like the Steelers beating the Ravens. The next week, they just nap. And everybody blames Tomlin, but this is the nature of football players. This huge, it's it's why you always you always see Narduzzi just playing up the Pitt Penn State game and then losing the next week to whomever, Western Kentucky or whatever. It just happens when you put too much emphasis on one game. And that's what the Steelers did. And that's why I'm nervous about Minnesota. Yeah. And that's what the Bengals did, beating the Steelers and then coming out laying an egg against Sandy, the Chargers. Uh, the Bengals are the class of this division. Yeah. In my mind, I, I'm not impressed with the Ravens at all. Yep. Got it. So there you go. Bengals, uh, favorite for the North. So TJ tied James Harrison's sack record uh, for um, total number of sacks in a year at 16. There's five games to go. Does TJ break Michael Strahan's sack record in the NFL? What is the sack record? I think it's 22. Well, you know, he's going to need a little help from some quarterbacks like Strahan had in his finale. And plus, he has an extra game. And that was uh, the infamous Brett Favre laying down for him. Yes. <laughs> and is somebody going to go back and tell me Deacon Jones's game by game stats? You know, Deacon Jones used to pillage cities that way. He called that's what he called a sack. That's a, he's the one that named it a sack. Deacon Jones from the Rams, fearsome, yeah. foursome. And so I'm always, uh, skeptical of sack records because they don't count when the men really played the game and well they didn't even pass that much back then so there weren't that many opportunities but Deacon Jones just dominated so I don't care about sack records I don't you know TJ hopefully he has other things on his mind than getting that sack record like getting some rest in that finale because they're playing in the playoffs in four days or whatever right uh, he, I mean, I guess he could break it, but you know, you tell me this stuff interests you more. You tell me, I think he gets it. I think he gets it. I, I had him pegged at 17 sacks to start the season, but just the way he's been playing, um, and th that team needs a, a rallying point on defense. I think he's serving as that. So I'm going to say that I'll go with the over. I'm going to give him, let's go 24 sacks and wow. defensive player of the year. There's wow, my optimism. Well, hey, that would be fantastic. And, uh, you know, uh, running around trees in his backyard. And he said, that's corny stuff. I know. And I haven't heard the word corny in a long time. <laughs> uh, TJ, you know, I said, TJ, did you have to slow your rush down against Lamar Jackson on that last? And he looked, he just turned. He's I'm not going into all that. And then he looked, I don't know if it was recognition of me. I don't go there all the time like I used to. And then he explained everything. He's like, I'm not going into that. Well, you see, it happened like this. So he is so intense, but still he's not psychotic. You know, <laughs> we've seen that mix out of outside linebackers. Yeah. He has yeah. got all the Greg Lloyd, James Harrison intensity. And there's a scare factor when you talk to him. Somebody disagreed with me a few years ago that TJ's capable of flipping the switch and going off on you. If you ask a bad question, just like outside linebackers here in the past, mm -hmm. EJ has that in him, but he hasn't let it out yet. 
it's possible. It could it could happen anytime. He's able to uh, keep that thing contained and let it out when he needs to. So well, that's I mean, he looks, he turns, he's like, I'm not going into all that. Well, you know, it's like this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, did you just recognize me or, or it, it looked like I'm not putting up with another stupid question. Oh, it's you. You always ask stupid questions. I, I'll answer this. <laughs> that's good. I stuff. think it's my beard. That's helping me. Uh, People don't want to attack me so much. They they feel that I'm elderly now. And it's- I think <laughs> maybe that's what it is. <laughs> maybe it's the beard. <laughs> all right. So I haven't put you on the spot for prediction all year. Uh, but being that this Vikings game is a difference between the Steelers staying in contention and really being on the outside looking in, what's going to happen? What say you, Jim? Do the Steelers win in Minnesota? Well, it's possible. And, you know, Minnesota, what, fell to five and seven by losing yep. to Detroit on the last play of the game? There could definitely be a carryover there. And, hey, maybe they think they're out of the playoffs. But uh, I got to stick with the fundamentals. On a short week, going to Minnesota, they're coming off a loss, and you're coming off a win over the Ravens. No, I can't in good faith recommend you put your money on the Steelers. So I'm just going to predict that the Minnesota is going to win the game. I haven't looked over my stats. I swore I would not pick the Steelers to beat the Ravens like smart people were telling me. To come back uh, from the Rocky Blyer, uh, Ryan Clark, uh, everybody screaming at them, everybody mocking them. It had to be a week of, of recovery and rebounding, but I couldn't pick a team that has such a porous run defense. And then I saw the Ravens' pass defensive numbers that I look at, yards per completion on pass defense. When I see 14.9 per completion, that's historically bad. That's 5.4 per carry on the run defense. The, those numbers just those teams don't win games, and wow. Uh, but I could not pick the Steelers last week, so I cannot pick them this week. And if I stay on that roll and stop mushing the Steelers and keep predicting them to lose because of fundamentals, perhaps they can put a winning streak together. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you're wrong, and we will find out soon enough here on Thursday when the Steelers line up against the Vikings in Minneapolis it's a chance to move the 7-5-1 and one to stay in contention. And if I remember correctly, when the Steelers went on that run in 2005, they were 7-5 and five and they tore off, what was that, four straight wins and then went on as the sixth seed to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying this team is going to do that, but there is a historical precedent for Steelers teams at 7-5, seven, five, seven and 5 not 7-5-1 and one at this point in the season. And the, the main thing, Steelers fans, is we have hope. Uh, We have optimism that potentially this could be a fun season the rest of the way out. Uh, Jim, great, as always, to talk Steelers football with you. I hope you have a great week. Please check out Jim's work on the Steel City Insider. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Jim Wexel. You can follow me on Twitter at Still Study and check out my site, thestillstudy.com. And we will be back soon. We don't know when. We'll let you know when our next episode will be, being that it's a Thursday night game. But Jim, have a great week. Okay, Jeremy, I just want to throw it in 2005. One of the key games late in the year was at Minnesota, too. They were kind of a good, but who knows? So uh, look that up. There might be some more similarities to this. All right, Jeremy, great job. Thank you so much. See you, Jim. Have a good one.